0: 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 this morning, and I'd like to begin reading at verse number 1. The Word of God says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas. We know that's Peter. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for the good week that You've given us, the souls that have made profession of faith in You. I pray, God, that You'd move upon this service this morning, that You'd breathe from heaven, Lord, that You'd do in our lives that which would bring You the most glory. We love You, Lord, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, I want to preach to you for a few minutes on the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of misnomers, a lot of misunderstanding about what the gospel really is. In fact, the Bible tells us that there's a lot of false gospels out there. The church at Galatia dealt with that. Paul said, hey, listen, I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's anybody else. I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. If anybody preach a gospel unto you other than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, let him be accursed. Let anathema be his name in the local church. Let heaven shut down from him. Let the people of God turn a deaf ear to him and to his uh, polluted gospel. So I want to preach to you for a few minutes on the gospel. I remember my pastor growing up. Uh, he, uh, you know, he preached on the radio, and uh, he, he was, uh, you know, at that time he, he was a, a pretty big name in this area. Uh, he was in the radio one time, and, and uh, a couple of preachers came and met him and they said this, they said, we take issue with what you preach because you don't preach the gospel. And uh, he said, well, what exactly do you believe the gospel is? And they said, well, the Word of God. And he said, well, you're wrong. The gospel is not the Word of God. The gospel is a portion of the Word of God. Somebody say amen to that. There's more in this book than just the gospel. I will agree with you that the gospel is... Prominent and preeminent in the Word of God, but the Bible tells us preach the whole counsel of God. There is more in this book than just the Gospel. You say, Preacher, you say that to minimize the Gospel. No, I don't say it to minimize the Gospel. I think if we understand the Gospel for what it really is, we'll just appreciate it all the more. The Gospel is not just the Word of God, although it is the Word of God. The Gospel is the truth that Jesus came and died for your sins and for mine, was buried, and that He rose again the third day in power and in glory, And that faith in that risen Savior can redeem a sinner from his sins and make him a child of God who was once a child of hell. So Paul details for us what the Gospel is and what it's done in his life. If you're saved, you are only saved by the Gospel. There's no other means to be saved. If you're in this place and you say, Preacher, I'm saved, I know Jesus Christ, then you and I have a common bond. Because if we were saved, we were both saved by the Gospel Of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think this morning, if we take a few moments and look at what Paul said about the gospel in the world, and the gospel in his life, and the gospel as it would go on preaching uh, throughout the church age, I think that we can gain a good understanding of what the Lord's trying to do in our lives. Now some of you, listen now, I'm going to be honest, I may preach to you like your kids. And I'm sorry, but I've been preaching at kids all week. And so if I walk by and if I, and if I slam my hand down, I say, all right, Sit up! That, don't, don't be mad at me, okay? Because I've, I've been dealing with kids this week, alright? So, so don't fuss at me. Uh, But I I will say this too, there's a real danger this morning for you to just reach up and click your hearing off and not listen to what I'm about to say, and for you to say, well, preacher, I'm already saved. You may already be saved, but uh, salvation uh, is the chief uh, purpose of the gospel. But understand, those that are saved, they love the gospel just as much as anybody. Because it has the power. Uh, What is it that the songwriter said that those that know it best love to hear it told? They love to hear told what Jesus did for them. Not only that, that gospel is still able to save your loved ones. In fact, it's the only thing that's able to save your loved ones. And so, uh, let's give our attention to the preaching of the Word of God this morning. Let's have our hearts open. I want you to notice in the first seven verses, we see the gospel presented. Uh, Now, it's almost very cold, almost very mechanical. And I believe God designed it that way because He didn't want there to be any debate about what the gospel is. And so Paul says this. He tells us what he's about to say. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. So if you want to know what the gospel is, just listen close. He's going to tell us. Which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Period. So he says, I'm going to give you the gospel. And he says some things about the gospel. And now he's going to give us the gospel. And what's the first component? He says, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The first component and truth of the gospel is this. The Lord Jesus Christ, His vicarious death for the lost sinner. You say, what does that mean, preacher? Vicarious means this. You've probably heard people say this before. I know you watch reality TV and don't act like you don't. Uh, Some of you have seen on reality TV where they get these little girls and and they they paint them up with enough paint to paint a barn and a house and a shed and everything else. And, And they put them in clothes that even grown adults a lot of times ought not be wearing if that's where they needed to be with the Lord. And they take these little kids and they push them out on stage. and They're called stage moms. You ever seen them? You ever seen them? You may not see him that way. You may see him this way. You ever seen that daddy at the at the little league park? Uh, that that you can tell. I mean, listen. Everybody wants to see their kid do well, right? It, but it is just a game, right? I'm sorry. You come out. You come off your bench. You scale an eight foot chain link fence and you punch somebody in the mouth at a little league game. You need to chill out. You know what they're doing. They're living vicariously through their children. I never got to do it, so I'm going to watch them do it. Now, that's not wrong to want what's best for your kids and to want better for them than even you have. But the truth that we gain from that is this. Though they could not do it, they think another can do it for them. The Bible presents to us first off in the Gospel the vicarious death of Jesus Christ. He died a death that you and I, though we deserve to die for our sins, we couldn't have died the way He died for our sins. He literally died for our sins and in our Place. now there's a phrase and it's used twice in this passage and i think it's very important and i don't want to skip over it because if i do i'm gonna have some folks saying well what about this do you have to believe that what about this do you have to believe that what about this do you...? the bible says this according to the scriptures in other words it's not just enough to, to believe that he died you have to believe that he died according to the scriptures now listen we, we can get in the ditch with that we can get in the ditch and we can say, you have to believe this detail, this detail, this detail, this detail. And I'm going to be honest with you. As a 10-year-old boy, there's probably a lot more that I didn't understand than I did understand. I'll say this, as a 27-year-old man, 10 years in the ministry, 5 years as a pastor, there's still a lot more that I don't understand than I do understand. But we do know this truth, that what Paul is presenting unto them is that which he has also first preached unto them. That which Paul has presented unto them. And notice a few things. He says, Christ. Christ died. We learn a few things from that. He did not just say Jesus died. He said Christ died. In other words, He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the promised one. He's the one that the Old Testament Scriptures, all the way from Genesis to Malachi, bore testimony. He was the promised one that was coming from Jehovah to die in our place. He was the Son. And by the way, if you don't think that the Sonship of Jesus Christ is substantiated in the Old Testament, just just crack her open and read her again. Because all through the Old Testament we find this that God talks about this. Uh, the the Bible uh, David said, "My Lord, my Lord, my Lord," when he talked about the messianic promises. Not just a good man, but the very Son of God. The Lord said this when He thundered. And by the way, did you know the Gospels are still Old Testament all the way up to Calvary? Amen. All the way up to Calvary, they're still. Actually, I'd say this all the way up to the empty tomb. They're still Old Testament. And God the Father thundered from heaven. He didn't say, this is my beloved teacher. He didn't say, this is my beloved prophet. He didn't say, this is my beloved priest. He could have said all those things. But He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus died in our place. He died the death that we could not die. Now, we would have died for our sins, but here's the difference. When He died, He died for our sins. He didn't die for His own sins. When we died, we would have had to have died for our sins. Listen, until you see Jesus on that cross because of you, you won't ever come to Calvary. You know what people say? It's amazing when there's a wreck. Uh, You've seen that there's a wreck on the side. There's always a lot more people looking than there are helping, aren't there? But I wonder maybe if you was driving up 75 or or driving uh, over across I-40 and and you were to see a wreck on the side of the road, and, and you'd look, you'd do like everybody else does. You'd slow down. You're part of the problem. You know that, not part of the solution. <laughs> You're the reason we can't get nowhere on time. What are you going to do? Are you going to rubberneck? You ain't going to do nothing. But I do it too. Amen. <laughs> but you slow down and you look and you watch. And I wonder what would happen if, as you rolled up on that wreck, you looked and you said, I think I know that car. Maybe you'd say, I think, I think that's my child's car. Maybe you'd say, I think that's the car that my parents drive. Maybe you'd say, I I think that's the car that my brother or my sister drive. And what if you looked and in the wreckage you saw their eyes with fear and terror looking back at you? You better believe you wouldn't just slow her down to 15 and rubberneck. You'd pull over quick as you could. You'd jump out of that car. You'd run over. You see, once you see that it's somebody you love in that wreck, you'll get invested. You know why a sinner doesn't come to Calvary? They see somebody else on that cross. When you see you on that cross, Calvary will mean something to you. We see His vicarious death. Then I want you to notice, secondly, we see His victorious resurrection. Not enough just to believe that He died. But the Bible says it. And by the way, we could say a word about His burial. We could. Uh, There's a reason the burial is in the Gospel. Do you know that the burial of Jesus Christ tells me this? That my old sin that all of my unrighteousness of that record that was against me was laid in a borrowed tomb, a tomb that nobody else had ever laid in. You say, why is that important, preacher? Because I don't look at that and say, oh, that tomb was for Joseph of Arimathea. That tomb was for his sin. I don't look at that tomb and I and say, "Well, you know, that was that was a tomb for my mama's sin or that was a tomb for my daddy's sin." But no man ever had laid in that sin. And when Je- and when when Jesus laid down in that tomb, with all the sin of the world having been paid for, he buried our sin. God put it behind his back. God put it as far as from the east and the west. God put it at the bottom of the sea. Then you know the final promise God makes, boy, this is good. God says, "I will remember your sins no more." been buried and put away. So that burial, that's important. That's important. But it's just merely a component of His victorious resurrection. Because you see, a full tomb wouldn't have done us any good. What does Paul say? Paul says this, And that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day. Here we have it again. According to the Scriptures. Now, let me, just, let me point this out about that phrase. That's, that's important for two reasons. Because as we look backwards towards what took place, we can say it's been done according to the Scriptures. What the Word of God tells us of the matter is absolutely true. But let me say this, that as they look forward to the Messiah coming, they knew it would take place according to the Scriptures. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was the fulfillment of prophecy. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was the fulfillment of payment. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was the fulfillment of our propitiation. When Jesus raised from the dead, it was the fulfillment of all of our hopes, of all of our dreams. What does Paul go on to say in the next few verses? He says, therefore, if Christ be not risen, then ye are dead, and your faith is in vain. You're hitting your sins. I think one of the reasons we have so many false professions in the day that we live in, and we say that, I mean, listen, the gospel, the gospel sounds all over the world nowadays, and there was a time that it didn't. If it wasn't took by a missionary, it didn't go there. Now computers and technology and the gospel is all over. But one of the reasons we have false professions is this, because people believe it's merely the acknowledging of historical fact and not the effectual dependence upon a risen Savior. And so they think this, they believe that Jesus died for their sins the same way that they believe that that Washington crossed the Delaware. But they've never put their faith in a risen Savior. You say, what's the difference? Well, if you was in a mess, you wouldn't be looking to Washington to help you. He may have crossed the Delaware, but He didn't cross back. Amen? But Jesus, He was buried and rose again. He, through death, defeated death. He took his crown. He broke his scepter. He robbed his kingdom. And he took from him the power that he had. And he came back. And the book of Acts, chapter 2, says this that he rose from the dead because he was not able to be holden of it. If you don't believe in the resurrection, according to the scriptures, the Bible declares that you cannot be saved. Boy, now that's bold language. We don't like that, you know. That makes, and I'm gonna be honest with you. Sometimes even my flesh gets uncomfortable with that. But we have to stand on the authority of the Word of God to believe it was merely a spiritual resurrection. Not enough. Not enough. I don't care if your Bible, if you have got one of these new versions that says it. I don't care if a if a study Bible you've got says it. I don't care if your favorite author says it. The Bible says that he rose again according to the Scriptures, gives validated testimony, and we'll get to that in a moment, of those that saw him. He looked at Thomas. He said, reach and feel the nail prints. Feel that which is in my sight. I understand he had a glorified body, glorified enough to move through a locked door, but it was physical enough to sit down by the seashore and eat fish and bread with his disciples. I'm saying this it wasn't just a spiritualized, allegorical truth. Jesus Christ literally got up from the grave, rose from the dead, and he's alive today. He's alive today. We see a victorious resurrection. But I want you to notice in the next few verses. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. We see a validated testimony. Now, this is just as an important component of the Gospel. I would not say this. If this was left out of the presentation of the Gospel, I don't know that it would hinder a sinner from being saved. But as we examine the Gospel in light of its historicity, I believe that this gives us an important truth. Look at the next few verses, beginning verse 5, 6, and 7. The Word of God says this, "...and that he was seen." That he was seen. Now, we're going to move on, but just think about that. That he was seen. We're, we're not, listen, we're not just taking Joseph Smith's word for it. Right? That—that that, I mean, listen, that's nonsense. I, I'm going to tell you something. The man told people that, 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 uh, that an angel came down, gave him some golden tablets. He won't let nobody see the golden tablets. And, and that uh, he... <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't even... Give me a moment. And that nobody else could read the tablets but him. That he could read the tablets but nobody else could see him. Nobody else could know what was on them. And that they just have to take his word for it. I'm not a smart man. I'm going to confess that to you. But, but I believe... And I, and I don't mean... Listen, if you've got loved ones that are ensnared in that, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not being ugly when I say this. Because false religion and cults have a powerful pull. And and, and there's a lot, listen to me, there's a lot of Baptists that if Baptists were a cult, they'd still be a Baptist. So don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But it don't take a lot of learning to see that something's fishy with that situation. The Bible says He was seen. He was seen. We're not just taking His Word. Now, we can take His Word for it. But the Bible says that he was seen. Well, who is he seen of? The Bible says Cephas, another word, uh, another name uh, for Peter. Then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above, five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. You know why Paul said that? He said, go and ask them. That's what he's saying. He said, the greater part remain under the under this present, but some are falling asleep. Now, why did he say that? Because he wanted to let them know that it was real. Some of them are still alive. You can go talk to them. Some of them went to their grave and they didn't recant it. They still believed. And then finally he says this. Verse number 7, After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Let me tell you something. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has been fully validated, fully authenticated in this world. Fully validated, fully authenticated. Uh, I wonder this. You came here this morning. I know you didn't come to hear me preach. You came because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, because He is your Savior, and we have a common bond and unity as a result of that. I wonder how many it'd take to condemn a man for murder. Look around you. You think this many would do it? I think so. Look around you. How many does it take in a court of law? You know, I mean, just the justice system is supposed to be infallible, right? (laughs) You can laugh. It's okay. You can laugh when I tell a joke. And it wouldn't take this many. wouldn't take this many. I'm telling you right now. Mike, I'm telling you right now. If somebody came out in a queue and said, Mike Kramer did something wrong. Mike Kramer killed somebody. And you had this many people in this room lined up to give testimony against you. wouldn't matter if they didn't have a body. wouldn't matter if there wasn't a stitch of physical evidence. You'd be sitting down in jail. This many people, this many people said, We saw Mike Kramer do that. That's all it takes. And yet the agnostic and the atheist and the skeptic will look and they'll laugh and they'll say, Shh, what proof do you have? Yeah. Let me ask you something. What more proof do I need? Let me go take you to a few drunks that God has saved and changed their life. Let me, let me take you to a few uh, a few women whose lives have been broken. Let me show you how God put them back together. Let me take you through a few families that was either exploded apart or hanging by a thread. And God strengthened them and put them back together. Oh, I can, go. I can take you to witnesses. Paul says, they want to say we don't have any testimony. We've got plenty of testimony. It wouldn't take this many to condemn in a court of law. I could take you all over the world and I could, I could introduce you to people that would tell you that Jesus is alive and real. That Jesus is alive and real. So we see a validated testimony. We see the Gospel presented in the first few verses. But then there's a shift in what Paul is talking about. He begins by talking about Jesus. Then he moves on to talking about all those that have seen Him. Now, if you want to fuss with me, I guess if we were were properly outlining and making an exegesis of this passage, we might say that verse number 8 is included in the testimony. Uh, Paul says this, Last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. That's true that Paul was the last man. And that's what you, you get every now and then. You'll get, you know, somebody in the Reader's Digest or the Guidepost or online. They'll say, you know, well, I was going through a rough time and I saw Jesus and everything. Don't fuss with them. Don't be a cynic. The world has enough cynics. But Paul said last of all. And I believe Paul when he said last of all. I I believe Paul when he said, last of all. And and let me ask you something. Why would God, listen carefully, why would the Lord give somebody less than what they need? Does the Lord give people His best or less than His best? Why would He give them less than what they need? You say, what are you driving at, preacher? Well, listen to what Peter said. Peter said this, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we may own unto you His power and majesty, but we're eyewitnesses of the same. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. He's saying, we beheld and we heard a voice from heaven. He's saying, we were there on the mount of transfiguration. We were there. We are eyewitnesses. But then you know what he says? We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. You see, God's not going to give somebody less than what they need. There's, it's not necessary for you to see visibly with your human eye, with your physical eye, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not necessary. But at this time, in this dispensation, and what God was doing, the Lord revealed Himself to Paul. You see, we see the gospel presented, but we see the gospel personal. The gospel is a personal thing. Now, let, let me go ahead and just clarify something. The gospel is not a private thing, but the gospel is a personal thing. Can I give you an illustration? My, my license plate is a personal thing. It belongs to me and me alone. If you were to take my license plate off of my car and put it on yours and drive down and uh, break one of the... I don't even know if they still got the cameras on, but I guess they do. That's the design, is you don't know whether they do or not, you know, so that's... But go down and run one of these red lights. They wouldn't mail you a ticket. They'd mail me a ticket. It's personal. <clears throat> but it's not private. Go out. You can go out. Look on my car. i got three of them here. Go look at them. You can write them down if you want to. Anybody in the world can see it. It's personal, but it's not private. My social security number, on the other hand, it is personal, but it's also private. I know the LifeLock fella or whatever, he told everybody his. That's fine. He can be dumb if he wants to, but you ain't going to find mine out. You see, that's something that's both personal and private. The Gospel is personal, but it's not private. You hear people say sometimes, if they hear someone witnessing, well, I just think people ought not talk about their religion. Well, that's the problem. If all you got is religion, you won't talk about it. You get a relationship with the Almighty Son of God, that's something to talk about. If all you got is dead religion, go ahead and be quiet about it. It ain't going to help anybody anyway. You see, you really get a taste of something real, you'll tell people about it. You'll tell people about it. And the gospel is personal. And Paul begins with this. I like this. He says, last of all, he has seen of me. Now, there's a lot of ways we can understand that. We can understand that Paul is saying, uh, when he says, one, uh, born out of due time, that, that as he is talking about the apostles, that's the last group that he referenced, he was seen of James and also of all the apostles. At the time that the Lord ascended to heaven, Paul was not an apostle. He was a lost man named Saul of Tarsus. But the Lord, because Judas was not an apostle, right? Judas was not an apostle. Someone had to take his bishopry. Now, you, if you want to believe it was Matthias, go ahead. What do you know about Matthias. Right? The only thing we know about Matthias is he drew the short straw. That's all we know about him. But the Apostle Paul, God used to write 14 books of the New Testament and to thunder the Gospel. And and, and by the grace of God, he labored more abundantly than they all. So I believe believe he was an apostle. And he said that. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. And I think what he was saying is this. I didn't walk with the Lord in His earthly ministry. I, I wasn't a part of that group. But He met me on the road to Damascus, and He saved me. One of the the prerequisites to being an apostle was you had to see the risen Lord because their responsibility was to bear witness that He was alive and that He was risen. And so though Paul had not seen the Lord after He had rose from the dead, God spoke to him, shined a light on him. You say, well, that was God that saw him. Yeah, it was God, but you got to remember Jesus is God too. And he said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. I believe we can take it to mean that. Oh, Mr. Schofield, sometimes he's right, sometimes he's wrong. You say, what do you do when he's wrong? Well, I ignore him like I do you and everybody else, amen? And like you probably do me. Mr. Schofield says that what Paul means by one born out of due time is that he is an example of how one day Israel nationally will be turned to the Lord in salvation. That could be true. If he is here, I wouldn't throw my shoe at him. But you see, I I see a beautiful truth in this. Because I see that what Paul is saying is this. He was seeing of all these people, and they can Well Larry said something a moment ago, and it stuck in my head. I've said it and you've said it, but it just it was appropriate for the moment. He was talking about the workers. He said, We don't know who's saved and who's not, and everybody chuckled. I chuckled, you know and everything. Then he said this, he said truthfully, I don't know about anybody but me. Let me tell you something, friend. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. I, you give me your testimony, and I, I may believe that testimony. I may disbelieve that testimony. It will make no difference upon your eternity whether I believe it or disbelieve it. I don't know about you. You may not know about me, but let me tell you something. I know that he was seen of Cephas. I know that he was seen of the Twelve. I know that he was seen of 500 brethren at once. I know that he was seen of James. I know that he was seen of the apostles. And last of all, if he's not been seen by anybody else, if no one else can testify that There's a God in heaven. That There's a Christ on the throne. Let me tell you that I can tell you that last of all, He's seen of me. I've been to Calvary. I've seen Him. I don't know if you've seen Him. I don't know if you know Him. But I know Him. I know Him. We see the moment of salvation. He says, last of all, He's seen of me. If you don't have a moment like that, you've never been born again. You may not been riding upon a horse. I only—I hate horses. I'm like you say. Well, that's sissy to, ho- to hate horses. Well, go ahead and tell that John Wayne. <laughs> of course, some folks may also say it's sissy to be named Marion. I don't know, but <laughs> but me and the Duke will just sit on—we'll set on the sidelines. What you ride horses all you want. You may not be riding on a horse like Paul did. You won't see a light from heaven. I—I I, I guarantee you won't see a light from heaven. There, uh, you, you listen, you probably won't hear a voice audible. You, you probably won't. In fact, I'd say scripturally, I could probably say you won't, but i won't fuss with you. But let me tell you something. If there's never been a moment in your life when you came face to face with the Lord in a spiritual sense, when He was evidently set forth crucified among you, when you saw that you was a sinner, and that He was the Savior of all men, especially of them that believe, and that you had to believe on Him to accept that salvation. If there's never been a moment, you may not have a time, you may not have a day, you may not know what the preacher was preaching. It probably wasn't that good anyway. You may not know what happened. But listen, when you look back, if there's not a place that you can point to and say, that's where I met Jesus, You've never been born again. You hear people say all the time, well, I've always been saved. Well, no, you haven't, because nobody's always been saved. I've not always been saved. December 1st, 1997, I met the Lord. I'd heard about Him my whole life. But that day, I got saved. And ever since then, ever since that day, I've been the child of God. not always acted like one. I've not always done the Lord proud. But I'm saved, and I'm eternally saved. And that was the day that I got saved on. And if there's not a moment you can point to, don't worry about the details, heaven records the details, but if there's not a moment you can point to, then you ought to make today that moment before it's everlasting too late. We see the moment of salvation. Notice the measure of salvation. Look at verse number 9. He says this, "...for I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God." Let me tell you, we're talking about this a little bit at Cam. And I think me and Brother Chris were, we're talking a little bit about this. We, I, I do believe God judges and determines and, and differentiates between sins. If you don't want to believe that, that's fine. But the Bible teaches that He does. To whom much is given, much is required. Many will, some will be beaten with many stripes. Some will be beaten with few stripes. There's weightier measures of the law. There's the greater condemnation. And one day when we're judged, we're going to be judged for our works according to what sort it is. So if you want to believe that there's no degrees of sin and that God doesn't differentiate, go ahead. But the Bible teaches that He does. The Bible teaches that He does. And sometimes I think we have a false assessment of how God views sin. You know what Paul said? Paul said this, that Christ Jesus is able to save sinners of whom I am chief. He said, I'm the worst of the worst. Now we look at that and we say, how could that be? Here's a religious man. Here's an Hebrew of Hebrews. Circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> According to the law, the Bible says that he was spotless. He, he was There was none could blame him. He knew more catechisms. He could tell you more Scripture verses than anybody you'd meet. But when Jesus met him, he didn't say, well, good to meet you, Paul. You're a pretty good person. He didn't say, well, Paul, you know, you're a little misguided, but you're trying your best. Let me tell you something. If passion would get you into heaven, then the Muslims would beat every one of us there. And right behind them would be the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. It's not passion. Passion don't get you to heaven. Sincerity doesn't get you to heaven. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, faith in Him and Him alone, that's what gets you to heaven. When the Lord met Paul, He said, I'm Jesus. Man. (laughs) I'm Jesus. And, and, And you know, I would imagine there was that moment where Paul said, you're Jesus. I don't know how much Paul knew of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. I don't know. He was alive at a time for there to have been some overlap. But I don't know that he ever went by the seaside and heard him teach. I don't know that he was ever amongst the multitudes when he healed. I don't know what it was in his lifetime, the testimony. But he had heard about it. He had just heard about it. He had heard all kinds of things about it. He had heard. And you say, where did he hear it? Well, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of that time. Gamaliel, he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And probably he was with that group that was seeking to persecute Jesus and to nail him to a cross. And probably he heard the same things that Pilate heard. This fellow perverteth the nation. Probably they had heard about how he was a great hater of Jews. Probably they had heard uh, about Jesus that he was trying to create an insurrection. Probably they had heard about Jesus that he was a, a gluttonous man and a wine bibber and that he was a, uh, that he was a child uh, born out of wedlock. He'd probably heard all those things. And I'm sure Paul said, You're Jesus. You're Jesus. I've heard all these things. But here you are shining a light from heaven on me. And in that moment, he realized, Well, I'm not what I thought I was. I'm not what I thought I was. Because I persecuted, Paul said, the church of God. Let me ask you something. Who's your enemy today? Who's your enemy? Who are you fighting against? You say, God's not my enemy. I don't know. Are you fighting God this morning? Seems to me like the enemies fight one another. So say, I, I, I'm no enemy of God. I'm a good person. The Bible says friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You say, I'm a pretty good person, preacher. I, I, I've never been saved, but I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Well, that doesn't mean anything. You say, well, well, who's Jesus Christ interested in? Well, He came not to call the righteous under repentance, but sinners. You see, if you're lost without Christ, you're the enemy of God. But you can be reconciled by Jesus Christ. <laughs> you say, I'm not that bad. Well, that might not be what God says about it. And at the end of the day... To be almost saved is to be eternally lost. And to be pretty close is to be headed to a devil's hell. I wonder if you've been born again. That's my question. We see in this passage, not only the moment of salvation and the measure of salvation, but notice the means of salvation. I'm not going to dwell long on this. Because we've heard it preached and preached and preached. And there's some other things I want to deal with. But look at verse number 10. What does he say? He, He says, But by my good works I am what I am. Is that what he... Is that what he said? Did he say, but by my baptism, I am what I am? Did he say, but by virtue of my good parents, I am what I am? That's not what he said. Did he say, but by virtue of the things I do in the church, I am? No. No, if my Bible reads right, let me tell you something. I'll always believe that this Bible reads right. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Only the grace of God could do in Paul's life what needed to be done. Oh, listen, uh, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. If by the works of the law any could be saved, you know what Paul said? He said, if righteousness come by the law, I do not frustrate the grace of God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if folks get saved by their uh, good works, go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. But the Bible says this, if it be of grace, it is no more of works. And if it be of works, it is no more of Grace. You see, if you get saved by your good works, Paul would have been saved. He would have never needed the Lord to knock him off the high horse of his self-righteousness, blind his pharisaical eyes, and show him who he was and who God was on the road to Damascus. He wouldn't have needed that if you get in by good works. Because touching the righteousness which is of the law, he was blameless. Nobody could look at Paul and say, look at your awful life that you're living. Paul says, but I came to realize it wasn't about that. It was by the grace of God. the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. In other words, not you you become just and then faith is over with the just shall live by faith. It begins with faith. It's faith after it's begun, and it'll be faith right before it's all over. The only place you won't need faith is when our faith becomes sight. You're going to need faith your whole life. He says it's the grace of God. What is grace? Grace is God counting for our righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and counting for Christ's sinlessness, our sinfulness. It's that great exchange that took place on Calvary. It's that I give Him my worst and He's given me His best. It's that it's not of works of righteousness, but it's by the grace of God. It's not by works that any man should boast, but by grace are you saved through faith. The means is the grace of God. And then notice finally, and I'm just going to touch on these and I'll be done. We see the gospel presented, and we see the gospel personal. But in the last few verses, now, just the last couple of verses, we see the gospel powerful. The gospel. Let me tell you something. The gospel has lost none of its power. Ever. Over the past two thousand years, the gospel is just as powerful today as it was on the day of Pentecost. The Gospel is just as powerful today as it was on the day that the Ethiopian eunuch put his faith in the Lord. The Gospel is just as powerful today as it was the day uh, that God shook a, a Philippian jail cell and saved a jailer. The Gospel is just as powerful today. And we know this for a few reasons. Well, notice first off what the Gospel did in Paul's life. In verse number 10, we've already read it, but we see the Gospel converting. We talk about that word conversion. I like that word conversion. That's a Bible word. When thou art converted. I like the word conversion. We don't use that a lot. Now we use the word decision. But I, and I'm not fussing. I understand. We, we, and we might even occasionally use that terminology. Somebody made a decision for Christ. I'm not, being, I'm not being critical. But I feel like we've gravitated to that because conversion is something that God does. Decision is something that we do. And sometimes somebody can say they made a decision and we'll say, well, that's good. But you can tell whether God's converted a man or not. You can tell whether change is... That's what conversion is, isn't it? It's change. It's change. If you go, if you go to another uh, country, you'll have to go through what they call currency conversion. You have to take all your money, because your money, it don't mean anything where you're going. And you've got to change it out for something that means something. Well, the lost sinner, all his works of righteousness, they don't mean anything. But at Calvary, he can become converted. And all his dead works can be buried with Jesus Christ, and he'll be robed in the righteousness of the Son of God, and that's what matters where He's going. Right? That's what matters where He's going. His own righteousness, that don't mean nothing where He's going, but the righteousness which is of God through Christ, that means something where He's going. That means something at the judgment seat. And so we see that the gospel has the power to change a man, to convert a man. Paul says this, I was in Hebrew of Hebrews, but I was lost on my way to hell. Now I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, and I'm on my way to heaven. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, we, we think, do you know Paul said that before Popeye ever did? You know that? And I think sometimes when we read that, we kind of think of it the way Popeye said it. Well, I am what I am, or I am what I am, you know? And that's kind of what we think. You know, we think, well, here I am. Take it or leave it. And that's how people say it. You see them all the time. Let me tell you something. Is it not the, the, the grandest paradox of the human behavior and the absolute axiom of hypocrisy for a person to get on Facebook and say, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. Well, what are you doing on Facebook saying it then? You know? <laughs> yeah, that puts the moron in oxymoron, Boton. That puts the moron in oxymoron. But you see people do that all the time. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's Paul's not saying, I am what I am, and if that hair lifts you or whoever, tough. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I was a self-righteous Pharisee persecuting the true children of God and fighting against Jesus Christ. I was a persecutor of the church. But now, I'm a preacher of the gospel. And he says the gospel did that. The grace of God changed me. And If there's been a change made in you that will matter in eternity, it's been made by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the gospel converting. And then I want you to notice the next phrase. We see the gospel conquering. What does he say? He says, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. In other words, it wasn't a waste. It wasn't pointless. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Now, wait a minute. Is Paul bragging here? Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? Sounds like Paul saying, hey, God didn't make a bad decision in saving me because I've really done a lot for him. I know folks like that, don't you? I mean, they think when God saved them, he's picking out a baseball team, you know? And, they, and God picked them because there's really somebody. I, I, I know people like Calvinists are like that. God chose me. God chose me. He ain't interested in you, but me, I'm somebody. That's why people are Calvinists, because it feeds their pride. I'm part of the elect. I mean, somebody somebody didn't hug them when they were babies or something. I don't know. But Paul goes on to describe what he's saying. He doesn't want any confusion. So he says, yet not I. He says, I labored more abundantly than they all. But it wasn't me. He says, but the grace of God which was with me. In other words, Paul's not pointing. Paul's not pointing to his faithfulness. Paul's pointing to God's fruitfulness. And he's saying, I could have worked, I could have labored, but it wouldn't have meant anything. But the grace of God was with me, and it accomplished something. Let me tell you something. The gospel still has the power not only to save the sinner, but to change their life and to put them in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Paul said? Paul thanked the Lord that he was counted worthy to be put into the ministry. I don't know if you realize this. If you spend a little time in ministry, you'd know this. But anybody that puts themselves in the ministry, they got a screw loose. You don't put yourself in the ministry. All this mama called, papa sent, all that nonsense—they don't last very long. But when God calls you into the ministry, you've been put. <laughs> you've been put there. You've been placed there. Hey, he don't—he ain't bothering me. I hope he ain't bothering you. The day that I can't preach over a crying baby, I'm just gonna go ahead and put her down. All right, don't bother me. He thinks he's loud. I'm a lot louder. Don't bother me. The gospel has the power to conquer in our lives. It has the power to make us. I mean, listen. The the gospel has the power to cause us to fall in love with ministry, to fall in love with sinners, to fall in love with sowing, to fall in love with doing something for the Lord. As we was at the camp this week, I told him. I said, you know, this is going to sound mean. But at just a, according to my flesh, this isn't where I'd be spending the week. Is that okay to say that? I hope it is. Right? Some of our camp workers testify. I mean, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. But every year, I've told people this man, I just, I'm busting to get to camp. That don't make sense. Maybe I'm the one with the screw loose. I don't know. Every year, I'm busting to get up there. But I don't sit around talking with my wife and say, whew. I can't wait to get out of this air conditioning. It's killing me. I've never said that. I don't say, you know, the thing that I hate, honey, about about living where we live is the, uh, is these comfortable beds. I'm over these comfortable beds. Maybe if I could get up somewhere where the beds are just like a giant diaper laid on a plank of concrete, maybe then I could get some rest. I don't. I, I never say that. You know what I do say though. I say, man, honey, aren't you excited to get up there and see God save sinners? Aren't you excited to get up there and see, them? I mean, almost, and I'm not being a sensationalist, I'm not being spooky, but it's almost like you can see the Spirit of God wash over a service. And kids, just one by one, man, get up from an altar and going down, getting saved, getting right, seeing God win victories in people's lives. Man, what a gospel. What a God. What a savior. So we see the gospel conquering. And then finally, and I'm done, look at verse number 11. I like this. He says, therefore, whether it were I or they. Now that's important. That gives me some encouragement this morning. Because I'm no Apostle Paul. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that. Uh, There's two things that makes me different about the Apostle Paul. Uh, One is I'm probably a lot fatter than him. And two, I'm probably a lot nicer than he would have been. Most churches wouldn't abide the Apostle Paul just the truth. When he started getting up and saying, hey, that Demas fellow, he hath forsaken me. Hey, you know, we don't mind gossiping if we can robe it in a prayer request, right? Here's Paul's prayer request. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his doing. Most churches wouldn't abide that. We don't mind it if if preacher talks about Alexander the coppersmith. What if he's saying your name? You say, well, I just don't like a preacher that, that gets up and does that. Well, uh, Paul said this: "...then that sin, rebuke openly before all that others may fear. Yeah. So most, most churches wouldn't abide the Apostle Paul. I'm no Apostle Paul. I never will be. I don't even want to try to be. But I'm glad to know that whether it was, whether it was him or me, what does it say? <laughs> so we preach, and so ye believed. We see the gospel continuing. God's still able to save sinners. If Paul said so, I preached and people got saved, we might get discouraged. We might say well, I'm no apostle Paul If Peter had said so I got up and preached and, and and folks we might have got discouraged. but I think when Paul says they, I think he just might be talking about me. Eight times this week he is talking about me i'm not I'm not being, I'm not boasting I can't save a sinner. If you heard me preach up there, you'd know it wasn't me. You hear me preach down here and you know it's not me. I'm being serious. It's not me. But I'm glad when I preach, people can get saved. I'm glad if God's called you to preach, when you preach, people can get saved. I'm glad we had a boy, and he's, he's preached every year at camp that he's been coming up. A 14-year-old boy, started when he was 12, that preached on Friday morning. I'm glad when he gets up and preaches, if he's preaching the Word of God, if he's preaching about the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's sinners in the room, they can hear and they can believe and they can be saved. But you say, what does that have to do with me, preacher? Now, I want you to listen carefully. That means you can give the Gospel too. You know what people say? Well, I'm no Apostle Paul. Well, nobody but one was. And if you had been, you'd probably been like him. You'd have regretted that. He understood he was his own worst enemy. He said, I try to find a way to do right, and it's not in me. He said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. We spend all of our time wishing we had somebody else when God's wanting to use who we are. And you know, you've got loved ones that are lost. I know you do. I've never met a single person that, that they couldn't think of a family member, either immediate or extended. I've never met a single person that couldn't think of, of a family member that needed salvation. I've never met one. You may be that Come up to if you want. Come up to me and tell me. Say, every one of my family members is saved. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start saying, you got any second cousins? You got any third cousins? You, you, you got any family by marriage? You see, when we're just talking about, you know, R4 and no more, and that's the problem, is that's our mindset. No more. When there's a, there's a world on its way to hell. And you start thinking about. It. Let me tell you something. You don't have to be an apostle, Paul, because it wasn't Paul. It was the grace of God. It wasn't Paul. It was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's still able to do today what it's ever always been able to do. It can still save us. The... Hey, you got a child that's lost without Christ? The gospel can save him. You got a loved one that's lost without Christ? The gospel can save him. You got a neighbor, or a coworker? Hey, you got an enemy that's lost without Christ? The gospel can save them. And listen, if you're here today, the gospel can save you. You don't have to wait for some great message to be preached. You, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm being—I'm not. This is not false humility. If, around here, if you wait, in my opinion, if you wait for a great message to pre, be preached, you'll have to wait till we get one of these evangelists in. Uh, listen, if you're waiting for just the right song to be sung, it'll probably never get sung. But when the gospel's preached, you have an opportunity to believe you'll have an opportunity to believe. And if you're here today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Gospel can save you today if you'll come to the Lord Jesus Christ.